Welcome to the Like a Bigfoot podcast. I'm your host, Chris Ward. And as we are kind of uh, winding down 2019, uh, it is fitting to bring a guest back on to talk about one of the most kind of infamous events of the year. Um, so today we're going to talk. We're, we're catching back up with Don Reichelt. Um, and we are going to chat all about Biggs Backyard Ultra. Uh, if you've never heard of Biggs, which some of you out there right now are like, oh, we've totally heard of Biggs. This event is insane. Uh, but if you haven't, it has quickly kind of risen um, towards the top of some of one of the most infamous events in ultra running. So uh, it's invented by Gary Lazarus Lake Cantrell, uh, who's the, the mind behind the Barkley Marathons, if you've ever heard of that. Um, and basically the idea is this, uh, runners will 75 runners show up to the start line, which is literally in his backyard on his property. Uh, and they will run until only one remains. Um, so the idea is they'll run a 4.16 mile loop every hour. So every hour you have to be back at the start line. You have to run the 4.16 mile loop. However much time, you know, however quick you end is how much time you have to rest before your next loop. And at any point you can drop out um, and basically they're going to keep going and going and going until one person is left standing. Uh, this year's winner was Maggie Goodrell and she, I mean, we'll get into it in the podcast, but she ran 250 miles, which is hard to even imagine, but also to imagine doing that on little to no sleep. And also, I guess the biggest thing about this race is you don't know when the finish line is coming. You don't know when you're going to finish. You have to be prepared to run for, um, days and days and days if need be. Um, which is something really cool. And we get into that with Don a little bit. Um, but the race is so unique and really it is kind of pushing the limits of human endurance. And it's really, it's, it's interesting because a high level athlete, high level ultra runner like Don for him to go and for his mindset to be, um, I, his mindset's basically, I'm, I've been pretty successful at this whole ultra running thing. Now let's see, uh, how I do in a race where, you know, uh, 74 of the participants lose <laughs> and only one, you know, finishes. And it's, it's interesting because it's someone who's really pushing, uh, how much they can endure. Um, and, and there's so much to that physically, obviously, but then a lot of what Don's going to talk about is the mental aspects. And though his race didn't go necessarily as he wanted to, um, he was able to really kind of discover a lot about himself and how far he's willing to push it, how much pain, how, how deep into the pain cave he's willing to go. Uh, but then also, I mean, the whole event just sounds like this amazing, beautiful community building thing, which is weird because you think an event where it's, it's, uh, it's kind of, it's seemingly from the outside could be cutthroat because for you to win, everyone else has to lose. Uh, it seems like it is not that way whatsoever. And really at the end of the day, it comes down to uh, me versus me and, and me versus uh, a, a lot of factors, but really like how positive I can stay um, and how, how I can keep kind of striving forward. So uh, let's get right into it, guys. I'm excited to share the episode. This is uh, the Like a Bigfoot podcast number 176 about Big's Backyard Ultra with Don Reichelt. All right, guys, I'm back with Don Reichelt. And man, I got to say, like, you went out and you took on the like craziest ultra event out there right now in my opinion uh the bigs backyard so dude i'm so i'm i've been looking forward to hearing your tales for quite some time <laughs> so welcome back man 
yeah, good to good to be back. And you're right, and it's uh, big backyard. It le- it lives up to every bit of uh, of uh, lore and whatever you build it up to be in your mind. It was uh, quite the experience. Yeah, nice man. Well, can you kind of just real quick give someone like if someone just jumped into the podcast and had never heard of what it is? Can you kind of give them the the overview? Like, what is this event and and sure. Why is it so like recently it's just grown in in legend? Yeah, yeah. So the the format's actually pretty maniacally simple in that it's uh you have a four point one six mile loop ahead of you and you have an hour to do the loop. And if you do the loop within an hour, your reward is getting to do the loop again <laughs> and again and again. And uh the race the race goes until there's only one person left. So there's no set distance. It's literally just 4.16 miles per hour uh, until there's only one person remaining in the race. Wow. That's, that's insane. And I know for you, and this is the part, like when I was looking to, to interview you, like, I know you had like really high expectations um, for, for how you were going to compete and I know it didn't necessarily go the way you probably wanted it to. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's it's the race format. The way it is, is you can't go into that race without the expectation of being able to win. Um, it's just, you know, everybody that's there and the field that was assembled this year is so incredible that you, you just you can't show up and think that you're just there to run a few laps like you everybody i know of went in there to win that race so uh yeah my expectations were high i was definitely fit enough i was strong enough to win the race and uh as you alluded to that things kind of didn't go my way early and uh still really proud of of the the event and the result and it was just a a really freaking cool experience yeah yeah what's the like what's the night before Cause you mentioned everybody's going in with that mindset, which is cool. Like I, I love that. Um, what, what's the night before? Like, like when you're hanging out with people, I guess, before the event, is it weird? Cause you're basically like, Hey, the only way I can win is if this person quits. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I'll, I'll get into that mindset later too. But, um, you know, I, I really do my best to set right separate myself from a race the night before it so like i we everybody was loading in the day before and you kind of you kind of look around and you know you 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 point out oh that guy has done this and uh, you know there's guillaume he's won this race before there's um maggie who did 180 something miles like you're kind of just aware of, of them but it just comes back to the confidence in where I was. And I knew that like, Hey, like I have every bit of a chance to win this race as they do. So there's no point of dwelling on who's there or or getting stressed out about it because it is so easy. It's not like I'm, I'm going to go out in the morning and like, look at, uh, Eli Kipchoge who was trying to run under two hours in the marathon, right? Like that guy had some shit going on in his head the night before. Like that's a lot of pressure. Like I, I had to do the easiest thing in the world for me. And that was to slowly run four miles. Like there's really no mental challenge there. The, the challenge is just like, okay, trying to realize that if, if all goes to well, you know, well, I'm going to be doing this the next day and then possibly the day after that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, man. Well, what did, uh, I know we talked to you, we kind of talked to you like right before you really just started turning a hundred percent of your focus to this yep. race. So like, I guess fill us in, like, what was the, the training like? Yeah, it was just honestly a lot of miles. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> So that the format itself doesn't, you don't have to be fast. And that's why it's such a beautiful format that it really levels the playing field between men and women. And like, there's no real reward for having elite speed. The only, the only thing that's rewarded is just grit and endurance. So like, I just, I just ran a ton of miles. I did a lot of uh, kind of mock events from my garage where I had a 4.16 mile loop and I would do it every hour on the hour. I would have my, uh, my crew come and, and practice 
uh, what it looked like to to take that 10 or 15 minutes in between laps and uh, do what you want. Because, you know, at the race itself, you if you run the loop in 45, 50 minutes, well, then you get 10 or 15 minutes to do whatever the hell you want. Yeah. You can go to the bathroom. You can you can eat a sandwich. You can have a shot of whiskey. Um, like do what you want. That sounds like um, my and those are all race. things. <laughs> those are all things that I definitely did do uh, <laughs> during during that time. Um, but it, you know, it's it's it was important for me to practice with the crew of like, okay, what does that ten or fifteen minutes feel like to get you guys ready uh, to do what you need to? So like nobody's rushed, nobody feels like they're they don't have enough time or maybe there's too much time. It, so we just practiced a lot of that. We put ourselves in that situation, and I got really intimate feeling what like 4.16 miles felt like and pacing and um it not not really a ton of speed work but just miles that's all it was and you know and, and the one thing i will will say that's maybe a little bit different than others is i did a ton of of mental work um so i was i was working with a local sports psychologist um shout out dr ross what up um he's he was awesome like helped me with the mental game because that's that's one of the hardest challenges in that type of event is like every time you get back to the start line like oh crap like i got to go back out again and then again and again and it's just if you don't have a good mental strategy and you haven't practiced some of those mental skills you could uh convince yourself you need to stop well before you actually do yeah what what kind of mental like how do you train those mental skills intentionally yeah, so um, he gave me some different like moving meditations, um, just things to kind of help pull your focus away from the misery that can sometimes be ultra running. Um, definitely different strategies as far as things to think about. So uh, it turned into me giving my crew kind of full reign of my mind. And at times they would say, hey, like this lap, you're going to think about the trees like just pay attention to how many trees you might see of different varieties and then the next lap it was like okay this one you're just going to think about your breathing and so it's like expert external or internal focus and then like narrow or broad and just kind of mixing it up and uh just various questions that kind of gave me things to work through um so there's a there's a, a term called a fermi problem which is kind of a a mental math problem that really doesn't have a true answer that you kind of have to just logic and reason through what your answer might be. Um, so, you know, a good example of that would be how many tennis balls are there in New York city? Like, you know, so that's like, yeah. So take 40 minutes and just come up with an answer to something like that. Um, so those are the, those are the kind of the mental tricks that I played with a lot. And, uh, you know, I think, I think they worked uh, for me pretty well, especially with, you know, I, we can get into this a little bit, but I, I injured myself pretty early in the race and, um, it was a, a battle every single lap not to quit. And the only reason that I was able to kind of hang on and hang on and hang on was that I was able to kind of, uh, compartmentalize the pain I was going through with going through, uh, and kind of exchange it for different thoughts and different puzzles and, uh, just keep my mind engaged and, anything but i'm in excruciating pain yeah yeah that's really cool so like i don't know i'm just i'm really interested in the sports psychology part and i think that's like you said it's just such a huge aspect it has to be such a huge aspect of a last person standing event you know um like did you actually go and meet with with the sports psychologist or was this over email or like on phone or no yeah he's 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 denver based he works with a ton of athletes and um so i i met with him gosh probably five or six different times leading okay. up to it um it was it was awesome and we obviously um his role as a psychologist goes a lot further than just sports psychology but we definitely focused a lot of a lot of my training on okay how can i improve my day-to-day -day life to make my training better and then how can i uh harness these mental skills to get more out of my racing yeah. and i use some of these skills in a couple of the races that i did leading up to bigs and uh they definitely paid off for me in a, in a big big way this year yeah is it skills that you like only pull out in low moments or are you doing this just like at the beginning and and the high moments or or what it's a little bit of both i think 
mental skills, it's think of it as just like another arrow in your quiver that like you do, you know, good runners do speed work, they do hills, they do flat. Well, you know, that other skill set that a lot of people don't do is the mental stuff that like if you if you come to a really, really rough patch in a race and uh, your mind is telling you to quit and you haven't worked through how to deal with that scenario in your head, then you're going to be pretty likely to slow down or stop. So just just practicing those skills to deal with some of the crap your brain tries to tell you, um, you know, it's going to tell you to stop well before you need to stop. And just kind of flexing that muscle and being like, nope, shut up, brain. We're going to think about butterflies and kittens rather than pain. Yeah. 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 It's, yeah, dude, that's awesome, man. Like, I would love to kind of like, you know, dive into a whole sports psychologist thing because, and, you know, it's, it's probably different working with endurance athletes versus, uh, you know, you used to play baseball. So like someone in baseball where you make, you make a bad hit or, you know, you strike out one series and then you're coming back up. Like, I don't know. It's just, yeah. it's such a fascinating topic to me. I'm, you know, I would. Yeah. Like, it's, and it's something that everybody can work on. I am a huge advocate for mental health and just being open about it. Like there should be no stigma on like seeing a psychologist, whether it's for athletics or life or whatever, like we all have stuff that we can gain. And, you know, I, um, outside of running has improved a ton by working with a psychologist, not just the skills that I've learned for that. So it's, it's a great area for everybody to, to be curious about and to explore. Yeah, definitely. man. So when you're doing your around the neighborhood runs one, what are the neighbor's reactions? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah. let's knock that one off. Um, <laughs> it's it's funny waving at the same people like six or seven times. Uh, yeah, we have a a church of oh, Jehovah's Witnesses kind of on my four point one six mile loop around my neighborhood, and for what like their like I don't know what you call it membership drive maybe like coincided with me doing like my biggest training loop, yeah. and so they had like a table set up out on the street like like trying to like hand pamphlets out. And so I ran by them like every hour, like I just kept waving and like the looks was just like slowly progressing to like, okay, Hey, there's a friendly guy that we saw one. So maybe he's just running back home now. It's like, Oh no, he's like again and again. <laughs> and it, it became really funny to be like, yeah, just wave at him all goofy and act like I might not have seen them before, but they know. You could change your facial hair every time. And yeah, like, right. Is this the same guy? Um, yeah, what is this guy doing? <laughs> yeah. What? Uh, how long was your longest one? Uh, I think we did six hours as my okay. longest. So not not super long. You know, like 20, 25-ish miles. But um, long enough that you get a really good idea of the flow and the, uh, and the, the pacing of, of running. 4.16 miles an hour because you don't want to run at normal pace you want to be able to feel like okay this is a hill i need to walk it and get an idea of how fast you need to walk what the uphills look like and things like that so and i think getting out on a couple of those practice sessions really helped me understand that yes i can still walk quite a bit and be done with 4.16 miles within an hour and have a few minutes to do whatever i need to yeah yeah how do you uh choose a crew for something like this well it's easy for me because my wife and her parents have become like the world's greatest crew and uh they they love it and take really good care of me so uh i i don't have to think twice about it like it's just they're gonna be there i learned that i can kind of turn my brain off and my wife will make decisions for me and she's she's one of the few crew wives that can except that I'm going through pain and send me back out there. You know, a lot of, a lot of family is usually not great to have as your crew because they're like, Oh, he's hurting. Like stop. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, my, my wife knows what I'm there for and accepts that, you know, I'm willingly doing this. And uh, she is great at being able to be like, now suck it up and go back out. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I read a lot that, um, and tell me if this was common or not, but when people dropped, they still wanted to be there and be around the experience and the community of the race. And so they would kind of like somewhat jump in, jump onto other people's crew and like help them along the way. Like, did you find that? 
Yeah, a lot of people did. And just the way the race sets up is you develop like these really deep bonds with people that in no other scenario would you ever do this. Like think about you're not racing at all. You're, you're running with people and you're just constantly doing hour runs with people. So now think about when you go for a fun run and you run for an hour with a bunch of friends, you chit chat and talk about things. Well, now imagine doing that for 24 to whatever hours, like you're going to talk about weird things and really get to know them in a way that, you know, nobody that just goes for a coffee with somebody once or twice a year will ever learn them. So you develop these really deep bonds that are pretty unique and like you you want to see them succeed and you want to help people and uh like when i when i end up dropping out after uh 20 or 31 hours i i had developed these great bonds and at this point there were less than 20 of us left and it became kind of customary to when you retire you you stop and you acknowledge all the other runners and so so i went out even though i knew i wasn't going to go back out for a full lap, I started the lap and um, the the lap kind of goes out a quarter mile and back a quarter mile across the finish line again, and then uh, and then goes up onto the trails during the day loop. And um, so think of it like as a parade lap that goes back all the tents. And so I I started with them, and me and actually one other guy dropped at the same time, and we start together and walk out and then wait for all the runners to come back and kind of just congratulated them and high five them and wish them well. Like you, you're not you're not looking at anybody in the race, even when you're, you're not going to keep going as like a competitor or somebody like, I want to beat you. There's no ill will against anybody. It's like, like we're all here to see somebody do something incredible. And, you know, I played my small part of helping them get to 31 hours and then the rest of the field took it over from there. So it's, it's, it's a really special bond that you create with other people that you're running with. And yeah, absolutely. You want to, you want to see how it unfolds. You, you want to see that guy that you spent 20 something hours talking to Like, is he going to be able to pull it off? Like, how can I help him? Um, so it's, it's very unique. And if, if you've ever even thought about doing a race like this, do it because it is an incredibly special experience to be able to like go through that with other athletes. Yeah. Do you think that's one of Laz's secret missions with it like i know he's he comes across at times as like yeah like you know i think he said in the barclay documentary something like along the lines of you know uh is it worthwhile if it's not nearly impossible or something like that yeah it's a beautiful quote and i think i think you're right like this is laz is a genius first of all let's just put that on the table that guy that guy knows how to make people go to places physically and, and cerebrally that few race directors have ever even thought of. So like his famous line is like in for about this race is like the one thing that you need is that other guy to drop out of the race. But the one thing you don't want to see is them to drop out of that race. So you're like dealing with these emotions of like, you need, you need at least one other person to keep going to get you to the, to the level that you want to be at. But you, you also want to beat them. And so you're, to- you're, you're, you're really dealing with these emotions. Um, and you know, his other thought about this race is technically you're always in first place. He's like, you're until, until you drop out, you're in first place, right? Cause the, the, how fast you run the lap doesn't matter. You know, who, the only thing that matters is like you start every single lap in first place. And, and so he, like, he wants to toy with the people. It's like, Hey, like if you ever thought that you, your skill set is toughness and you want the advantage over fast runners. Well, here's your race format, line up and prove it. And so he's, he's done a ton to get out a lot of mental things in this race. Yeah, that's cool. And I mean, do you also think like the whole community aspect, because I'm speaking for myself, but I feel like I'm probably speaking for most people in ultra running. The community is the thing that you keep coming back for. I mean, that and the interpersonal lessons that you learn, but you know, you develop these, like you said, you're running for hours and hours with people. You're going to get to know them on a much deeper level than probably even some people, like maybe even coworkers you worked for years with just because it's like, Hey, what do we have to do for, and then like days at a time, we have nothing to do but just chit chat and talk and like learn about each other's lives. And, and I think yeah, that's, I, that's super cool. 
and like sleep deprivation creeps in at some point. <laughs> and so it's like, you're not only running with these people, you've now been up. I remember, so the race goes tw- 12 hours during the day. It's on a trail, like, a, you know, a, a rocky, yeah. muddy trail. And then during the night, it actually goes to a road. So it's a little bit safer for the athletes. But I remember when that sun came up and we went back to the trail, you could start feeling the, the sleep deprivation creep in a little bit. We've been running for 24 hours. Uh, people are, you've, talking to the same people you, you just have no filter anymore like it's just like the sleep deprivation and for whatever reason you trust people and it's like the weirdest things you just talk about life and things like i mean what are the things you never talk about with a stranger right like politics and religion like those were talked about left and right just to pass the time because yeah. they knew it would it would be something interesting to talk about yeah you're like all the things you shouldn't talk about by like hour 18, we've covered those. Yeah. Now we're into yeah, the weirdness. Right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's like, you can, like I heard people talking about abortion and all this other stuff. It's like, wow. Like what you're talking to somebody you've never met before about yeah. your stance on abortion. Like that is, yeah. Wow. In real society, that would be kind of like a topic you would never bring up with a stranger. Correct. But it's, it's something that'll, keep your mind occupied like wherever you stand in that like and that's just an example of like it's just crap that talk give me something to talk about for 40 minutes like it could be gibberish like let's talk about your favorite kids cartoon like i don't care like make it up like it it just got really interesting so you learned a lot about people yeah that's awesome how often were you talking with others during the race and how often were you digging deep within yourself, you know, doing the strategies we talked about earlier, the mental strategies, yep. like how, like, what, what was the percentage of that? I'd say, gosh, like good, probably 50, 50 ish of like chit chatting with people and then kind of just zoning out, especially as it got later, the first 18 plus hours, you're kind of in a conga line of people and you tend to chit chat a little bit more, or you can just shut your brain off and kind of follow the footsteps in front of you. But as it got later and later in the race, you're still with three or four people ish, but you're more just kind of being quieter potentially, or it's just not as active conversationally. So you kind of, you kind of just play with things and it would be more of a coming and going. Like I'd be thinking about, whatever the grass and the wind and or whatever smell i'm smelling and then all of a sudden somebody would say something and it would snap me out of that and i jump into that conversation and then yeah. as soon as that conversation ended i'd be like oh yeah i was thinking about you know birds chirping but let's go back to that so <laughs> you just kind of kind of just jump all over yeah what take us back real quick like when you first met laz because i'm sure that was kind of like a something you were looking forward to yeah absolutely that that guy is so it, it, he's just so supportive of this race and like his mindset is because this was the first ever world championship of backyard racing. So last man standing world championship. So like I, I, I grabbed a picture with him the day before the race. He's like, hey, he's like, you should should get off your feet. You have a world championship to win over the next few days. And it's like he just treats everybody like, hey, like you're going to win this, right? like even emailing with him about some stuff because he sent out some emails that we had to reply to as as racers and um he would always joke when you'd say like hey like i'm gonna be out there for three or four days he'd be like oh that's it <laughs> <laughs> like he's just super encouraging he's like hey like he created this race to see the limits of human endurance like and he's just so supportive to see something phenomenal happen on his property and his watch yeah that's i mean Uh, that's interesting like he has to be fascinated like out of everybody most people haven't witnessed this and for him to be able to witness this every year and the Barkley every year like I mean it's it would just be an incredible unique perspective that he probably has yeah I also underestimated how many cigarettes that man smokes (laughs) like once a lap he would be smoking another He's cigarette. Like, hey, you know how Barkley starts with me lighting a cigarette? Well, we're doing this every lap. <laughs> it's pretty much, man. Like that dude <laughs> smokes a cigarette. He it's he is a unique character. Um, and I'm yeah, it was just so cool to be able to literally hand out, hang out on his land and just down from his house and be a part of of his little family that he's built and this 
crazy race. Yeah. How is he up like at the beginning of every lap? Like, is he up and getting you guys going? Oh or? yeah. He, he, uh, so he blows three whistles when it's three minutes to go, two whistles with two minutes to go, one whistle with one minute to go. And then he rings a big, uh, a big bell when it's time to run and he will not let anybody touch that whistle or that bell. Like that is his duty. Uh, so he'll, he'll be up looking at the clock, rain or shine and blow that whistle. And, uh, he, he does not miss this to the second. He will not miss that whistle. That's cool. How did you ever cut it close? Like I know, and we can, we'll talk about the injury and stuff like that in a second, but like, did you ever, come in with only a minute or two left and is that is there strategy in that or is there or did you always try to give yourself like five to ten minutes yeah i always had i always had plenty of time even with like you said the, the dealing with the injury the last the last few before i pulled the plug um uh, i started not necessarily cutting it close but it was closer to like five or four or five minutes to go before i had to be back up whereas for the most part on the trail, I was coming in at like 52 to 53 minutes, so seven or eight minutes. And then on the road, the road's a ton faster at night, so it was more like 48-ish minutes I was coming in. So I'd have 12-ish minutes to be able to, to sit down, close my eyes for a second, get a bite to eat, and then head back out. Yeah. What uh, Were there any like any strategies that, in general, every single person was trying to trying to use when it comes to like food or sleep or, or anything like that yeah it's hard to say i i saw so many different strategies yeah um you know there's a there's this guy dave proctor who was running like on the road he's like like 38 minute laps and <laughs> on the trail he was running 45 minute laps he was just beating everybody and uh, everybody's like man that guy's gonna drop out early and it, he ended up going to like 200 and 30 or something miles and finishing in the top four. Like, so like that's a strategy. And then there was guys that like, and girls, I should say that were every lap, like minute or two before the, the whistles and the bell. And somehow they kept getting back up and going way longer than you thought they would. So it's like, I, as long as you have the mental toughness to keep going, I don't think there's any one strategy that's worse than another. As long as you get your ass out of the chair and line up for that bell. Yeah. Yeah. What about sleep though? Like how do people handle that? Yeah. So everybody's a little bit different. Obviously Dave was running, you know, 38, I think his fastest lap was 35 or 38 minutes or something like that. And he was getting, coming back. He was literally putting his Norma tech boots on and falling asleep while he was getting his legs massaged. And, um, that might be on the aggressive end. Other people, you just, the importance is as soon as you get back from the trail, just to sit down, kick your legs up if you can and close your eyes. Uh, I didn't, I didn't really focus on sleeping. I just focused on rest and probably dropped it off a couple times. But, um, I think a lot of people were so stressed out about the idea of trying to get sleep that they, their brain was too active for them even to fall asleep. But I just focused on closing my eyes and kind of meditating and clearing my brain for a few minutes. And, uh, and then as soon as that three whistles went off, then slowly starts the ring, get what I needed to and head out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so on your Instagram post about the race, you said uh, that you learned how deep you were willing to hurt to keep a dream alive. So can you kind of go into uh, like what happened? It was like mile yep. 20 or something like towards the beginning. Yeah. Like what happened? Yeah. So I just, I, I just kind of weirdly kicked a rock. Like I was stepping up uh, on the trail and I kicked the rock and some somehow my tibialis anterior, which is basically your shin muscle, like separated and strained and like went out is the best way to put it. Like severe pain. Like I don't know if you've ever had a shin splint, but imagine like the world's worst shin splint with knives just hanging out. And I'm like, oh shit, like this is not good. I, I don't know what I did. I just, I think I as I was flexing the foot to come up, I caught the rock and it just, yeah. it just pulled it just the right way. And, um, so yeah, mile 20, I'm, I'm running around coming back in and, uh, I tell my crew like, Hey, like this is not good. Um, so, uh, tons of pain. I, I was, I was like, Oh, this is bad. Should I drop now? This is not good. I'm like, no, I can do, I can do another lap. 
like, I can keep going. And so I just went out and kept going, did another lap. And I came back in and said, Hey, like I need, I told my crew, like, I need you guys to research, like how we can tape this. Like, what can we do to make this manageable? And so I do another lap and my crew is like, okay, we figured it out. Uh, but this next lap, you need to give us like 15 minutes to be able to like tape this thing up with, with kinesio tape. Um, <laughs> so like you got to run faster. And- go yeah yeah so <laughs> i think i think that might be my fastest trail lap was, was like 50k or something like that i had a, I, I ran like a 46 or something minute lap uh and like really like ran at the front of the pack and came and they, they had to shave my leg on the spot and oh they God. took this kinesio tape and taped up this this shin uh and sent me back out there and how did it feel from there it felt better. I mean, yeah. it it was it was in a ton of pain. Like I'll be I'll be honest. Like it it did not feel good. <laughs> um, so I just took it at that point, one lap at a time. And this is where some of those meditations really paid off. And then I could just really get away from the pain. And then um, it slowly, slowly, lap by lap by lap, stopped working, and the pain just kind of started hanging out. But um, so after 50 miles and 12 hours, it goes onto the road and the road was actually way worse on the injury than the, uh, than the trail for whatever reason. And so I, uh, by the time it got to the road, I couldn't really, uh, point my toes or flex my foot up or anything. So it was basically just like running with a drop foot and it was really slappy and it sounded loud. And, um, it, it, it spasmed a couple of times pretty badly. And, uh, at that point, almost, I almost just fell in the middle of the road and had to catch myself a couple times awkwardly. Um, and just, again, started figuring out how I was going to manage more pain. And I'm, I'm not somebody that believes in painkillers at all. Like, I, I think it's, it's a shame that people rely on painkillers so much in racing. Um, and, uh, at the same time, I was crossed with this, like, okay, like I want to keep going. So I took a couple Tylenol, which is, is it, you know, something I just don't do. Yeah. And I also had a, a, a drink called um, Revive Performance Tea. This is a company that makes like CBD and adaptogenic teas. And they have this turmeric CBD blend tea that's supposed to be a little bit naturally anti-inflammatory. So I, took, I started drinking that hot and it, it did help. Um, it, it kind of rounded out the corners of the pain. Uh, but fast forward to sun's coming up, we get back to the trail and you know, I'm 25 hours, 26 hours, tick tock, tick tock. And, uh, after about 29 hours, the leg starts collapsing on me and like, it, it's not bearing weight anymore. And I'm, I'm in, I've been in excruciating pain for the past now 24 hours, <laughs> And like now I'm starting to feel like I'm risking head damage, falling on a rock. I'm going to like, what else am I going to hurt? Is it going to be permanent? Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm starting to weigh those options. And I, I come back in, I tell my wife, I said, I'm, I'm done. Like, I can't, I can't deal with the pain anymore. Like it's, it's too severe and too constant. And these spasms are going to, I'm going to fall. And she's like, well, you made me a promise. Uh, and this is going back to why I said she's great at, at stuff like this. Is she's like, well, you promised me that if unless you win, you would go back out on one more loop when you said you were done. So you owe me another lap. <laughs> um, and so I lined up and I said, I'll do what I can. And I went out and I, I did one more lap. And uh, again, kind of fought falling and and stumbled my way in. And I knew I knew then it was it was done for real. Like. So when I sat back down, I said, I'm, I'm definitely done. But again, she had prom- made me promise that I wasn't going to I wasn't going to die in the chair. So I went back and I, I at least stood at the start line and walked out with the athletes. And then, then we did that, yeah. the high fives and congratulations and, and went from there. Yeah, that's like the honorable way of going out. Yeah, you know, if you're going to it's tough because you, you're, you're technically quitting a race, right? It's it's registered as a dnf but i i look at it this way i wanted to quit after 20 miles and i end up going uh, 129 miles in 31 hours and out of 75 athletes that started finished in the top 20 of a world championship race so um and to, to go back to that instagram post yeah i 
I didn't realize that I could sustain that level of constant pain for that long and still be willing to endure more. So like I learned a ton about myself and I am damn proud that like I just didn't quit when I probably wanted to the for 25 straight hours. And uh, yeah, it's, it's quite the experience. Yeah. Is that the worst you've ever felt in a race? Yes. Yeah. Well, the challenge is, is like everything, but the leg felt great. Right. Like I was, I was mentally in it. I was like, nothing really hurt other than this one area that's like excruciating pain. Like, like the, the only way I can describe it is imagine like every, every lap out, somebody stabbed another knife into my leg and I had to do a lap with that. And then they came back and they added in another one and another one. And it's like, by the end, you know, by the time I finally dropped, there's like 25 knives just hanging out of my leg. And uh, I, I just couldn't do it anymore. Yeah. So after you dropped out, did you stick around? Like, I just like, once again, to go back to the community aspect, I just feel like this mm -hmm. race just breeds the idea of like takes the idea of ultra running community and then like just cranks it like five levels up. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, so yeah. You, yeah. Were you able to stick around? Cause that's the other weird thing is like, no one knows how long this is going to go. And everyone right. obviously has their real lives to get back to at some point, you know? So, so yeah. So can you kind of like tell us like, what was the post race for you? Like, yeah, I, I hung out for probably three or four more laps and congratulated people and and cheered on people that I'd run with well. And then a couple of guys dropped out. And, you know, you share this. It, there were some emotional hugs. Like, there were a couple of guys that, like, you've been running with them for 31 hours. And, like, I know what he's gone through. He know, knows what I've gone through. And, like, you just have this bond now. And so, like, when we both realized that, Hey, neither one of us hit this goal that we both set out to get. Like there's some pretty strong emotions that like that, that run with that. Like, so lots of tears and hugs and congratulations. And, um, then I got the bottle of whiskey out and shared some whiskey with some of the competitors that dropped out and just took pulls of the bottle. And, uh, I mean, we, we've been running for 31 hours. So like a sip would probably be enough to get us a little <laughs> So when I say pulls of whiskey, I'm, I'm not being, uh, you know, too ridiculous here, but, uh, you know, it's just, you, we, we, huck, we hung around and celebrated and then it, I was starting to get cold and it was starting to rain and, um, my crew, I couldn't, I couldn't convince them to stay for an unknown amount of time. And so I had to be respectful for them and, and we started packing up and kind of headed out. And then from there I watched the rest of it on the live stream and followed along and watched Maggie kick some ass. Yeah, man. Well, so speaking of Maggie, was there anything, anything that she did that set her up for success? Like, did she have any different yeah. strategies, you know, from your perspective? Cause obviously she would have her own perspective and things like that. But yeah. Like, from what you saw, like, cause I'm sure like, as you're going about, you are observing everyone else and you're kind of taking it in. Totally. Yeah. So was there anything special she was doing or? Yeah, so here's here's what I'll say about, about her and and she this is the second time she had done the race. This was she had run it the year before and had done really well and had that experience and it was like that experience was obvious. Like she she knew where to walk, where to run, when to do things. Like so my my early strategy which it amazes me that people had different strategies that had never done this event before was my strategy was to be close to the people that have done well. Like, it sounds <laughs> yeah. so easy. Like, yeah. but like, like Maggie and Guillaume and Gavin, like those people have all run really successfully there. Like, why would I do anything but hang out like True. kind of within eyesight of them? And so that I was with Guillaume for a while and I was with Maggie and, and chit chatted with her for, cause she's, she lives in Colorado. So we, we chatted about Durango and, and Colorado and things like that. And, um, the, the thing I noticed from her is that she was very flatlined as far as emotions are concerned. I don't, I don't mean that negatively at all. Like she was just like nothing. She never got excited. She never got down. Like she was just like stating facts. Like there's, there's nothing that sounded that like she was going to get rattled. And one of the things that 
Laz has famously said about this format is that once you know you can't win, it's very hard to stay in. Um, because like, and so for me, running with Maggie, um, it was almost a detriment because like I, I knew that like I didn't know if she was gonna win. I knew I couldn't beat her, especially when I was I was dealing with all my pain because she was just a machine, man. Like like she knew exactly where to start running every single lap and where to where to walk and like there was nothing affecting her. She if she was tired by the time I dropped out, like she did not let any of that on. So yeah, so like it was almost a detriment to me to run with somebody so successful because I again, I didn't know she was going to win, but I knew that I wasn't going to beat her. And so like, I'm in all this pain. I could hang on for another 50, 60 miles and not beat her, or I could just drop out now and not beat her. And, um, it it kind of derailed my mind game pretty quick. Unfortunately. Do you think she'd be really good at poker? Like, yeah, totally. (laughs) The complete, she'd be, she'd be that she'd be, uh, she would like smile and then like destroy you. <laughs> and, um, and you would never see it coming. Like she was just so nice and uh, so respectful. Like I really love running with her, um, but that girl can run and like she is super talented and um, super friendly. But yeah, I knew I wasn't going to beat her and it, uh, it running with experienced people totally backfired on me in that instance (laughs) so it is i mean it is good to like understand strategies and things like that but you're right like that's that's interesting and i i just noticed watching the video of like the final lap or the final few laps like it's exactly what you just described like i can't remember how many miles she ended up running it was two six I, I can't remember. 250. She finished it right at 250. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, so like you just couldn't tell. Like she looked like she just had started the race almost yeah. from the way she was like carrying herself. And it was impressive. That was very – and to be there and to be running with her, like I, I can't even imagine, you know, what that was like. Yeah, yeah. Just one of the one of the many athletes that is just really cool that I can say like, hey, like I've run with this person now. Like, yeah. and Amelia Boone and, and, and Maggie and just the list is endless, but those are just, just such a cool format because you're not racing these people, you know, it's like every ultra you've ever done, you see them at the start and then, you know, then it's like, like, you either beat me or I beat, yeah. (laughs) Well, that's my experience. this, This format is like, Hey, like I can get a chance to run up to Amelia and say, Hey, like, what's going on? Tell me about working as an attorney, like whatever you can have these conversations. And, uh, Maggie was just one of the many that stand out to me as a cool experience. Yeah. Well, it's cool that he, uh, I mean, this being the world championship of this format and getting the 75 best people. Like I remember before the race, when you were telling me about this, you're like, everyone who's in this race has the potential to win the whole thing. And I was like, Whoa, totally. that is crazy, man. That's so cool. Like the ultra competitiveness yeah. of it. Yeah. 2020 is going to be even more insane. Like if you look at the, the list of athletes that are, that have been invited or have, or have won a golden ticket race to get into 2020, it's, it's unbelievably deep. Yeah. Well, so that's going to bring about this question. Is that yeah. a plan for you? Um, I'm not going to be back in 2020. Okay. I will be back eventually. Yeah. Um, I think that type of running for me, where I'm at in my career competitively, I think that type of running will, will I don't want to say always be there, but that type of running will be there for a long time. Um, I have a window that I think I'm, I'm entering into now that I have some elite speed that I want to tap into and yeah. uh play around on maybe how fast I can go for a hundred miles, uh, dabble with the 24 hour scene and see if I can get a good long 24 hour race under my belt. Yeah. Do you think doing this race where it is loops and it's the same, you're seeing the same thing over and over again. I mean, what lessons are you carrying over from that to a 24 hour race, which is generally, if I'm not mistaken, generally is looped, looped courses. Yeah. Yeah, well, there's there's a reason that the most successful, if you look at the list of people that have been really successful at Big Backyard and, and these last man standing format, the the most successful people all come from a 
successful 24 hour racing background. Um, they're used to turning the brain off and going fast and turning left to right, and then doing the same thing over and over again. So, um, I think there's a lot of overlap and it's just, it's just a little bit different way of thinking about it, but you're still doing the same lap for a very long time. Yeah. I, I think it's cool that you're working on the mental lessons and the mental strategies that go into something like that. Um, because that's something for me personally, I'm like, that would be, and I just having not done any of that work, any of that mental work, I'm like, that would be tough because, you know, coming from the perspective of, I like when the course is like a point to point or just one giant loop yeah. where you're not repeating and you get to kind of see something different. But I remember, I can't remember who I was speaking to about this, but they brought up an interesting point where they're like, how often have you spent 24 hours in one area and you get to experience like yeah. how the world changes, even though you're in the same place during that time. And I'm like, wow, that is like, that's a cool perspective that you would get from doing something like that. Yeah, you're totally right. You, it's not the same lap every single time. Like yeah. it's changing the weather, especially that, you know, out in Tennessee, the weather changed pretty quickly. It rained a lot. I, it didn't even rain it was like this shitty misty drizzle that was kind of just enough to be really annoying and make the rock slick but yeah. uh and then it was warm and it was like it's just then the sun came out and the sun set and it got dark and like it things were changing enough to keep it interesting you weren't it's not like standing on a treadmill and running on a wall for 24 hours yeah yeah definitely well so i guess you know you hear about the race and you can think like, and even in your case with the injury, um, you can think it's all about pain and misery and, and, and these negative feelings, but like, tell me about the fun. Like what's the percentage of pain versus the percentage of fun? Because I think most of the time that actually kind of surprises people. Yeah, I would say it's one of the coolest things, if not the coolest thing I've ever been a part of. Like, you know, there's, we always talk about in ultra racing, like type A versus type B fun. Yeah. There's a lot of, a lot of ultras are that type B fun where it's miserable while you do it. And then great later. Yeah. No, this is legitimately fun. Like you're making jokes on the fly. You're, you're doing different goofy things. You're meeting cool people. Uh, and then even when it was over with, like it was type B fun as well. Cause you could look back and these, here are these memories that I made and think back to this stuff and you know, seeing all the people just kind of hanging out and, um, gosh, like it's, I said it before, but there's a ton of these events popping up all over the country that are affiliate races for big backyard that you can now, if you win them, you get a ticket into big backyard, like go, even if, even if you've never done an ultra before, like whatever, go and just explore your limits. I think that's the fun. And that's what a lot of us got into ultra for is, is exploring the limits of like, Hey, can I run this far? Can I run this hard? Can I run this far this hard? Like, like you're exploring <laughs> something within yourself and like, there's no better format than the backyard format to go out and see where those limits lie. And yeah, just take a look at some of these qualifier events are all over the country and all over the globe right now. And uh, you don't have to be a rock star to get into them. Even if you're just going to go show up and try to run your first ever 50 K and you've only run 10 miles before, like see what you can do and challenge yourself. Cause that's, that's where the fun lies for me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so this is just going to be a super random question. Okay. Uh, I was right. looking at your Instagram preparing for the interview and I saw you got to go to some sort of MMA fight with, Pat Militich, who coming from Iowa and Bettendorf, yeah, obviously, like that yeah. was definitely someone growing up where I was like, oh yeah, that's a guy that's like very successful uh, at what he does. So what was what was that like? And one, is there any lessons you could learn from someone who's completely outside of the sport you're involved with? And then yep. is there any lessons you could teach? you know, some of his athletes. Cause he's a, uh, obviously like a coach and, uh, and, uh, yeah, well, he's, he's actually dabbled in ultra racing, right? So he tried, he's tried Leadville at least once. Um, and yeah, for you guys that don't know, this guy's a UFC hall of famer. He's went to the same high school I went to in Iowa. Uh, like he taught lessons at 
the place that I took karate lessons when I was a little toddler. No like this, way. this guy, yeah. Like, That's awesome, like, man. <laughs> I never really met him, but uh, I've been wanting to meet him. And we have a mutual friend that uh, was going to go to the fights. And so, yeah, Pat Miltich got um, my wife and I. And um, like we got to pull up seats right behind him. He was announcing the fights or he was calling it for UFC Fight Pass. And we literally got to sit behind him and so like the only people closer to the ring than us were like, him and the officials awesome. like, it was ridiculous and yeah i just in in his in his sport obviously like, i'm not punching him in the face for a living and i'm not getting punched in the face but i think it's all about taking a blow and weathering it and knowing that like okay i need to i need to stable my breathing i need to settle down and um, like in in fighting generally uh, the highest highs when your adrenaline's pumping, uh, or the lowest lows, like most of the fight isn't going to happen in those extremes. It's going to be happening in the middle. And that's the same with running. Like you're going to, you're going to have some really high highs and you're going to have some really low lows, but just remember that, uh, it's, it's not always going to be on those extremes and just keep it in the middle there. Yeah. That's awesome, man. Well, um, I guess one last kind of question, and this is another kind of selfish one. Um, <laughs> I got All a right. bunch of my friends who have never ran an ultra before to sign up for a 50k, uh, in Iowa, which we're super, super pumped for. Um, what like advice would you give? Cause you know, you've done some of yep. the, the hardest, you know, like big time races that are in our sport. So what kind of advice would you give to, uh, some guys who aren't necessarily, uh, you know, are, are actually just completely brand new to ultra running. Sure. So the first thing that I would say, and this is advice that if I could go back to myself and give it to me, I would, is like just taking the experience and not, not just on race day, but like be proud proud of the training you're putting in like enjoy it like, it's, it's not always going to be easy but it's always going to be rewarding and it's almost always going to be worth it so just you know take do a journal like take take note of the, what the highs and the lows of training and and, and it, be aware of the journey you're on and then during race day like unless you're going to win the freaking race like take a moment to look around like like i I started this sport in the back of the pack. Like, I think, you know, like I was not going to be winning races my first few years. I've been lucky enough to, to work my ass off and, and change that lately. But like when I first started, I was a back of the pack runner. And I, for whatever reason, I still had this mentality of like, I can't take one extra moment and look at something. And I just, I wish I could go back and, um, you know, just, just look around, especially if it's a beautiful place and it's like, it's a trail race, it's an ultra, like take a moment and breathe in the community. Like thank every volunteer. And I, I've always done that, but I, I might've rushed it and just said like, Hey, thank everybody. Like, see ya. Like I'm going to go damn near not finish. Like got a rush, but like, just, just take, take note mentally and physically of how it feels throughout the journey take a moment to take a deep breath and look around and just be proud of the experience. Even if, even if you don't succeed in finishing the race, like you've come a long freaking way. And that race is not just that day. That's what's been building up to it. And, um, no matter what happens, be proud. That's awesome, man. Well, dude, you're awesome. Like I'm, I'm so happy you were able to come on the show and Biggs backyard, just sounds, I don't know. It just sounds like a special thing. And, uh, and it's awesome that you, you were able to take part of it. So congrats, man. Congrats. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much. I where, appreciate it. It's yeah. awesome to be back on. <laughs> where can people kind of like follow, you know, your further adventures? Uh, you know, sure. So I pretty much Instagram is my only like running platform that I put my stuff out there. So it's at run with Don. Uh, pretty easy. Uh, and then I, I run a coaching business and put some stuff up on a website. My, my business is called boundless endurance and you can find me at boundlessendurance.com. Yeah. Awesome, man. Well, I'll make sure to link all that in the show notes and, and all that. Beautiful. And now, now you have this like sports psychology strategies to pass along, you know, to people who you're training. Yeah, dude. Like I, 
I'll make a connection. You should get uh, Dr. Ross on your show. It's a, it's a cool conversation to have with a sports psychologist. And a lot of people don't think about the mental side as much as they should, especially the longer you run, the, the more you're going to be straining your brain. So yeah. uh, if you're out there and you're, you're, you're listening to the show and you've never thought about the, the mental side of, of running and training, uh, let this be your wake up call that you can be a better runner overnight. If you just start thinking about your brain. That's cool, man. That's cool. Well, awesome. We'll, we'll have you back on again at some point in the future. I'm sure. Um, so Dude, thank absolutely. you so much, Don. All right, brother. Talk to you soon. <laughs> All right. See ya. All right. That'll wrap up the show. Um, thank you so much, Don, for coming on. Uh, I had a blast talking to you. I learned so much. Um, the mental training aspect is very fascinating to me. Uh, and I hope you guys listening out there had a lot of takeaways from him as well. Um, and the Bigs Backyard Altar, like what a fascinating event. <laughs> it just it just captures the imagination. And I wonder if uh, I wonder if that's Laz's super secret superpower is that he's able to capture our imagination with this. And really, I think he's capturing his own imagination and really he's trying to discover the limits of human endurance along with the rest of us. And he's just has the guts enough to go out and, and uh, prepare something as, as just mind blowing as bigs. So um, yeah, super cool podcast. I really enjoyed it. As we are about to dive right into 2020. Um, I hope you guys are starting to think about what you want to accomplish. And you know, obviously getting healthy, like I'm thinking about the classic New Year's resolution stuff, like get healthy, lose weight. Like that's all great. That's, those are great. But let's get more creative, right? <laughs> let's uh, let's think of something really weird that we want to accomplish. Uh, maybe it is something like a, a last person standing event. Um, or maybe it's like my good friend Jason Suddeth, who's been on the show a bunch of times. He ran his first 50 miler so huge congrats to jason but maybe it's something like that something that scares you something that um i i i'm speaking for jason here but maybe something that you're cursing my name for in the middle of it <laughs> which i'm not sure what happened i haven't i haven't got a chance to kind of break that down with him yet but um maybe it's something that is so incredibly difficult and yet months later or when we get to December 2020 next year, uh, it's something you are just so proud of. And for me personally, this year has been mind blowing um, from many different aspects, but from a sport aspect and an athlete aspect, um, I really was able to prove to myself uh, that I, that I, was kind of I, I have the uh, capability in me to to really prepare and race smart if I want to um, and though I'm very 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 proud of the desert Rats stage race obviously because I've talked about it on here like 10,000 million times um, I think looking back honestly what I'm most proud of was my preparation going into that race because I was able to prepare in a way that got me physically prepared and mentally prepared. Um, and at the same time, I was able to do it in a way that didn't interfere with family time. I mean, I'm a dad of three and they're all under the age of six right now. And they're my number one priority. Um, and if the sacrifice I have to make to do an ultra running thing is sleep and I, if it's just hey you got to wake up at four every day to get your training in because that's when your kids are sleeping i'm 100 in on that because i will sacrifice sleep 10 million times before i ever sacrifice family time um, because that's the most important so i think for me i'm most proud of being able to train in a way that got me successful that uh, prepared me for success um, and a good time because at the end of the day, like that was the best part about desert Rats is it was just a freaking blast. And, uh, I just had a, such a fun time. It was my most fun week of the year. Um, but then I was also able to train in a way that didn't interfere with my actual priorities, my, my real life stuff, quote unquote. And, um, and I'm super proud of that. I am because, you know, when I look back at 2019, there's, you know, 
endless amounts of memories of playing with my five-year-old and my three-year-old and my newborn and you know these are moments that will never come back because they're gonna grow up and you know i'll be looking back in five years and be like man remember 2019 when they were all tiny and take <laughs> and i gotta like you know take them on adventures and and they got so excited about the silliest stuff and you know at the end of the day that's this that's the things that are that are what make life worthwhile um but you add that with adventure you add that with a sense of purpose um, beyond, uh, and maybe the sense of purpose is really pushing yourself and expanding your mindset and continuing to grow as a person, uh, versus just staying stagnant and, and being a lifelong learner. And maybe sometimes that exploration is internally, right? Like you're exploring how deep you can go and, and, uh, how much you can push yourself. And I think, you combine that with with the real real life quote unquote once again uh the real life purposes and i don't know to me that's and this is just me and i understand like people have totally different perspectives and i i want to respect that but for me that's what defines my happiness is am i growing personally and am i living by my uh my foundational like morals and stuff and at the same time, am I able to uh, make sure that the things I prioritize above everything else, which is my family and my friends, are are the major part of my life? So anyways, uh, yeah, thank you guys for listening this year. Um, we might be back next week. We'll see. I'm trying to I'm kind of bouncing around. So speaking of all of that, I'm like, well, maybe next week, you know, it's it's uh, it's the week of Christmas and holidays and stuff. So maybe I skip out on that one. Um, and then come back at the, um, during the new year. I'm, I don't think I missed a single week this year. So I'm proud of that too. Um, so we'll see. Uh, I already have one recorded in the bank, but, um, you know, I might just wait till the new year to put that out. Um, and I want to like during the new year, I have a lot of really exciting guests I'm reaching out to. Um, hopefully some of them pan out because if they do, we're going to be able to share a lot of really cool uh unique adventure stories on the show and and that's what keeps me stoked about doing this every week is is really just connecting with people and sitting down and hearing their stories and and sharing ideas and and growing from their ideas which is super cool so all right but yeah thank you guys for listening this has been awesome this has been a great year uh and i hope you've had an awesome year as well and let's make 2020 the most awesome year ever. And I'm saying awesome so much just to, uh, because my wife makes fun of me for saying awesome too many times. <laughs> All right. Talk to you later.